John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Today my guest is Big Ray Williams. How are you doing today? What's up, world? Oh man, I'm great. Blessed. Um, actually, couldn't feel any better at this stage. At this stage, training. <clears throat> Very cool. What uh, What do you have? Uh, Coming up, what's the next big thing for you right now? Uh, next big thing right now is uh, Open Worlds in, uh, in Sweden. That's uh, June 15th for me. So that's, that's the next big date on the calendar. Oh, so that's coming up pretty soon then. Yes, sir. Yeah, very cool. Um, so uh, let's let's let some of the listeners... Um, know a little behind the scenes uh tell us how did you get started into uh lifting weights and squatting big how, how did all this get started all right uh as far as as far as lifting weights i played uh football pretty much from man the seventh grade all the way through high school so um my uh my the head football coach played football at Auburn, Auburn University, so he believed in lifting weights and conditioning and doing agility, um, all that. He believed in the work, so we had to do all of that as high school football players, so lifting weights was a must. You don't lift, you don't play. Yeah. That was his rule. Like You had to dress out during the week in order to get your jersey on Thursday night to wear for Friday. You don't get a jersey, you don't play. So lifting weights was a must. Um, I learned to like it because, you know, when you first start playing football, you know, you, you may not be as good as some of the older guys. So one of the ways I competed with the older guys was in the weight room. And I eventually got good at it. And as far as power lifting and squatting being, uh, I always liked squat because even in high school we had a uh, the motto was a hey, just stand up. So um, I kind of I kind of developed a love for squat, and you know it just it carried on into my powerlifting career. Very cool. And um, I know I've read some stuff uh, about your training and everything, and um, <clears throat> you haven't really broke into using. Um, a lot of bands or chains or anything like that, um, at least early on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, like what, what you were doing? Because it seems like a lot of people have taken that direction and, and kind of the powerlifting community relies a lot on the bands and stuff. And um, I just think it's really cool to see somebody not doing that and just doing it old school and just using the bar and getting it done. If, if I were an athlete that trained for – explosion like in football like I would use bands and chain but that's not what we do you know I think bands and chains and all that pretty stuff has its place in strength just not in powerlifting like because there, there'll never be a point in powerlifting where I'm going to be picking up a bar and this bar as I as I get closer to my lockout, this bar is going to get heavier. Or when I'm squatting, as I stand all the way up, this bar is at its heaviest point. 
But as I'm approaching, squatting down in the hole, like with bands and chains, this bar is going to be at its lightest. That's that's never going to happen. Right. So why am I going to train my body to acclimate to this, to this, to this, to the spectrum of, of changes when on the platform, when you pick up 410 kilograms, it's going to be 410 kilograms throughout the entirety of the lift. So I just don't get why people use chains and bands and don't get me wrong, it looks cool, it looks cool, but it's never going to be like that. Right. Yeah, I, I understand that. And, you know, I think there's a big misconception. People think that, um, you know, because there's some successful gyms and some successful lifters that do do that. Um, I think a lot of people have kind of lost sight that those things are are like extras. You know, there were people that were strong before bands and chains and before all that stuff. And um, Don't get me wrong. I do agree with you. There are some successful gyms that do it. And, I'm not, and, and by no means, I'm pretty sure that they know me and yourself and myself, we're not bashing people who do do it. Right. I'm just saying in my training, I just don't ever see that being something that I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't, um, I rarely use that stuff. Um, if, if I do, it's, it's mostly just experimentation. Um, like I said, I, I kind of follow the more old school stuff and there's just yes, something sir. cool about grabbing a bar and, and just doing it with the bar and, and everything else is just really extra. Um, yes, sir. No doubt. very cool stuff. <clears throat> um, so do you ever do, uh, any kind of, um, like speed work or anything along those lines? Uh, at least specifically, like it, you would actually call it speed work. Um, no, sir. Like when it comes, like like you said, I think uh, what you said at the end. Do I call it speed work? No. Um, just because even when my coach uh, programs, you know, high volume and uh, lightweight or moderate weight, you know, it's still really heavy. Yeah. So, um, what I do is I treat my warm ups or, or when I'm building up to my working set, I treat that as my speed work because I only squat once a week. So, I try to get everything in at once. Like, so as I'm warming up to the big set, that's when I'm, I guess you could say, when I'm doing my speed work. Yeah. So, do I have a speed day? No, sir. But do I do speed work? Yes, sir. Very cool. Um, so let's change gears a little bit. Um, what yes, do you sir. think about the mental aspect of uh, of lifting? Are there any um, you know mental tricks that you play, or do you think that have, having the right mindset plays a big role in this sort of thing? Um, just what are your thoughts on on that sort of stuff? No. Yes. Um. Mental preparation is just as important as physical preparation. Um, I learned that way back in 2013, my very first world championship. Um, when I went to compete, I was dealing with some other things in my life, and um, I wasn't all the way locked in on the meet. And I don't think I performed as good as I could have if I were more locked in on the meet. So 
as far as, you know, being mentally engaged and mentally locked in on the task at hand, mental preparation goes a long, long way because um, you can be the strongest person in the room, but if your mind and your heart ain't in it, then it does you no good because everything you do, everything you do, everything you do, it's gonna, it's gonna feel foreign. It's gonna feel, it's gonna feel like you're doing something different every time you do it. Like if I'm not locked in on my squat setup, um, how I initiate my squat when I'm squatting, then every time I go in there to attempt a squat, each attempt is gonna feel totally different. When in fact they should all feel the same as far as how I approach it, how I initiate it, and how I execute it, it should all feel the same. Yeah, very cool. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> are there any uh, any uh, mental aspects of the game that you find <clears throat> more difficult than others, just for yourself? Rest. Um, for me, for me, one of the most difficult things to do at this phase of my life is rest. Getting adequate rest. Like, it seems like the only time I get adequate rest for a meet is, like, two days out from the meet. Just because, you know, regardless what you got going on, life is always going to happen. Life is going to be there. So, for me, like, one of the biggest things is just rest. Getting enough rest. And not just sleep. Just, you know, just all the other things that go with, you know, rest and recovery. Um... Cause even when I um, when I came up to uh, to you guys in gym of uh, like in performance, you know, I um, I was I was operating a very very little rest, and you know it, it it shows in your overall performance, and it'll it'll affect you. It'll affect you like in in major ways, ways you can't even imagine. If you're not rested, then nothing else really matters. Yeah. So one thing that um, you hear a lot of, uh, especially in strongman, you know, um, a lot of those guys are just gaining a ton of weight to do that. And um, you hear guys like uh, Eddie Hall and some of these bigger people and how when, you know, they get well over 300 pounds, um, sleep becomes a problem and, and things like that. Um, now you're, you're close to 400, if not 400, um, how has that affected you? Do you have any issues sleeping? Do you carry that weight pretty well? What are your What are your thoughts? I think I carry my weight well, but um, just like all the other big dudes in the game, I do have uh, sleep apnea. I do sleep with a CPAP, um, like you know, and a lot of us do. Uh, I know Thor does. I do. Uh, I I know Eddie Hall lost a lot of weight, so I don't know if he still does. But I know majority of us big power lifters, the guys that are 350 plus, most of us are sleeping with a CPAP. And um, if you're a big dude and um, and you can hear this uh, podcast, if, the, if, if you're getting sleep, but the quality of the sleep is still is, is lacking, it's like you wake up in the morning and you just feel like you haven't slept at all, you probably need to... Um, Go get a sleep study done and possibly get a C or a BiPAP to, um, to help 
fill in that 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 quality that you're not getting. So, um, as far as how I carry my weight, I think I carry my weight pretty well because most guys in my family are built like me. We're all around five ten, between five ten and six two. We're all stocky. We're all short. We all got fat necks. So you know, like as far as carrying my weight genetically, this is what I was built to do. But when it comes to sleep, then the other, the other genetic deal kicks in. You know, sleep apnea. So you know, I do sleep with a CPAP to kind of to ensure that I get that good quality of sleep. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common theme. Um, you know, with, with all the bigger people. Um, and I think, uh, I think a lot of the amateurs aren't, um, you know, they're not aware of that. So I think it's important to let, you know, to get that out, let people know, cause there's a lot of people out there. I think I see suffering that weigh 350 pounds or more. And, um, and they're not aware that maybe they should be, um, you know, getting a CPAP and, there's different levels of sleep apnea too. I mean, you might think you're sleeping pretty well, like you said, and you might not actually be, um, you know, anything below a hundred percent is, is a problem, you know? Yeah. The thing is like, as a big dude or as, you know, just as a person in this generation, like I know a lot of people don't seek help in that area because they're embarrassed. They don't like the way the machine looks. Um, they feel like, um, they won't get their dream girl if they're laying beside her with a with a with a CPAP mask on. But to all, like I said, to all my big dudes that can hear my voice now, you would rather be laying beside a woman with a CPAP mask on rather than laying beside a woman dead. Because you know, like if you have sleep apnea, you know, like of course it goes from from mild to moderate to severe. But the thing is, even if you're in that mild, even if you're in that mild category, then hold on, oh crap. Hold on, hold on, hold on, I don't know, I took something. Oh, you're okay, good. There we go. Even if you're in that mild category, then that still means at some point in time during your sleep, you're not breathing. So it's not only something that affects your sleep quality. It affects your heart function. It affects your brain function. And ultimately, if not addressed, it's something that can kill you. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. <clears throat> That's good information. Um, let's change gears a little bit. Um, yes, sir. This question comes from my brother. <laughs> You've met Paul. All right. Uh, he wants to know what it would take to get Big Ray Williams to do his first strongman competition here in West Virginia. Um, that's, 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 um, that's one of those deals where I, um, number one, I'd be honored. Like, it, it wouldn't take much, um, I'd be honored. Like, uh, as, as you know, my fiance, she's a strong woman. Um, you know, I, the sport of strong man just intrigues me. Um, but in the beginning, as I, gradually work myself into the sport. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm excited about the possibilities that would come with competing. But I, selfishly, I am very, very intrigued by log press. I love the log press. Yeah. Very cool. Um, 
I got a long way to go with like the stones and all that, but it's kind of like Jasmine telling me all the time, you know, strong man is just like powerlifting. It's not, it has nothing to do with you being strong, but if you don't know the intricate techniques that it takes to be good at these movements and these lifts, then it don't matter how strong you are because like, I think certain power lifters are very, very good static lifters. I think some power lifters are very, some of the strong men are very good dynamic lifters. And then you got that rare group of strong men that are just overall good strong men. Yeah. Uh, and those are guys that can, they, they move well, they do static events well, and those are the guys that kind of like make it exciting to watch. Yeah, that brings me to uh, an interesting question. Um, so when when I watch your, your biggest squats um, in competition, um, it looks like you walk your squats out very easy. Um, and, and easy is relative, of course. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of stuff, people saying, you know, that everybody should use a monolift and this and that, and that walking out the squats is is dangerous or not ideal. But then I see guys like you that can walk out a thousand pounds. Like it's no problem. I'm wondering what you, uh, what's going on in your training to where you can walk out a thousand pounds, no problem, but somebody else can barely stand still with it and still squat it. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on what's going on there? Um, to, to everybody out there in powerlifting land, um, I, I, I am, I, I compete in a federation where you have to walk the weight out. That's the first thing. USAPL, IPF, you have to walk the weight out. Um, was I always as efficient as I am now? No. But, um, people only get to see me when I squat. So when I squat, people are, they, you know, he's good at it because he does it a lot. No, that's, very not the case because you've seen me squat before. I squatted at you guys' gym and everybody that knows how I warm up, I only take one rep of each weight on my way to my working sets. I don't do reps. Like, I'm, I don't do a multiple reps before I get to my working sets. That's not what I do. But what I do do is I blast my body when it comes to accessory. Like, Prime example, Tuesday night, right up here in the um, in the gym where I train that on campus, I damn near killed myself just doing accessory work. Like, I exhaust my body. I push my body to the limits just like the three core, with the three core lifts in my accessory. Because if your body, if you're not breaking down and making the individual muscle groups strong, then how do you expect? to go out there and put your best foot forward. So if you're not getting it in accessory work as well as the three core lifts, then you're you're only you're only living up to half of your potential. Yeah. <clears throat> Very cool. So you think the key to a strong uh, walkout is just just squatting and then doing the appropriate assistance work to make that come to life, basically. Yes, because you need strong groin, you need strong quads, you need strong glutes, you need your IT bands need to be up to par. 
And you're not going to address all of that by just squatting or just by deadlifting. You have to do accessory work. And when I say accessory work, I don't mean you squat and you go haphazardly or half-heartedly do some 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 leg extensions. And no, no, you really got to get after it. Yeah. Like you got to treat your accessory work just like you treat your core work. Yeah, very cool. Do you ever... Um do you ever do uh, like any kind of overloading, uh, you know, pick up more than what you could actually squat and maybe walk out with it or do any kind of yoke carries or anything along those lines to specifically work on that? I used to do overload work, but what I found overload work is um, towards the end of my peaking phase, like right when I'm a couple of weeks out from competition, when you squatted like – Already, I've squatted a thousand pounds twice in this peaking phase, and that was in one workout. So, by the time you get to the end of your peaking phase, like for myself, just speaking myself, when you're operating that close to your ceiling and you're squatting that type of weight, and then you go to overload, what you may end up doing is you may end up burning yourself out, or you may end up hurting yourself. Like, to me, it just, for me, just for me, where I normally end up in training, it just doesn't do me any good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could uh, definitely see that with the weight that, that you're already moving, for sure. Um, you know, once you get over 1,000 pounds, the game changes a lot, I'm sure. <clears throat> so let's... Uh, Let's talk about the deadlift a little bit. Um, your deadlift seems to have made a lot of progress lately. And um, do you have any uh, tips or, or, or Big Ray secrets for the deadlift right now? Believe it or not, what I'm, what I'm about to tell you, you're going to look at me like I'm absolutely crazy. <laughs> but for me, my deadlift got better when my ankle mobility got better. Okay. When I... When I actually took time and learned the difference between mobility and flexibility, that that was a huge game changer for me because, you know, me and my ignorance, I'm thinking, well, mobility and flexibility are the same thing, so I'll be all right. You know, you know, if, if, if I'm flexible, I should be okay, but what I learned was flexibility is not mobility. And, yeah. um... Once I developed a lot more mobility in my ankles, like the ability to maintain those three points of contact when I'm driving through the floor at that pivotal moment when you break inertia and you're trying to generate as much speed as you can by driving into the floor, if you can't maintain those three points of contact with your feet, then you're going to struggle in your deadlift. And what I came to find out was by closely watching myself before I started working on my ankle mobility, when I, when I broke inertia, when I really drove into the, uh, the ground to generate bar speed, what was happening was my left foot was going, like if these were my feet, my left foot was always rotating outward at the most pivotal moment. So this foot, I've got three points of contact. My heel, outside of my foot, and my toes. I'm, I'm in the ground. But with this foot, it was only kind of the back outside of my foot because my toes were off the ground. The, the ball of my foot was moving. So I wasn't generating 
as much power. And what happened was I was I, I began to pull one sided, which meant my right side was overcompensating, which means my left side was lagging behind. And over a course of a year or two, you know, I developed piriformis from not only squatting wrong, but also from deadlifting wrong. And that kind of put a huge slowdown in my powerlifting career between 2013 and 2016. So just not having good mobility in my ankles really messed me up for about a three-year span. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I, I um, It's interesting. I, I was listening to, uh, I think it was the Joe Rogan podcast a couple years ago, and there was a strength coach for MMA fighters. <clears throat> and um, I didn't agree with everything he had to say. He didn't. Ha- he doesn't have his fighters lift weights or anything, but they do. They only do strength training for their feet. And um, the the thing I thought was interesting about that was very few people pay attention to their feet, and that's all that this guy does is feet, right? So I thought, well, that's that's a little extreme to just do strength training for your feet, but maybe there's something going on here. So I started looking into um, the feet a lot more with uh, training and then looking at what some of the other top people were doing and and how they look at their feet. And it's a pretty common theme, I think, amongst a lot of the elite lifters, uh, like you said, ankle mobility. A lot of the top people really focus on that and, and they've run into issues similar to what you've said and they had to fix it and that's how they figured it out. Um, and yeah, sure. I think it's pretty interesting because it's pretty over. It's pretty easy to overlook the feet. I think. Yes, sir. And that's um, that's just like being a football coach. Like as a football coach, when you diagnose a young lifter or a young athlete, you know, like it's best to start with the feet because you know a lot of us, you know, we, we watch a kid try to do a squat and we're like, oh man, his hips are bad. Oh, man, his knees buckle in and out. Well, and then you start this long process in trying to fix his hips. Okay, I get his hips fixed. I get his knees fixed where he keep his knees out. But then once you put weight on his back or you get him somewhere in the 75 to 85 percentile range, you notice all those woes come right back because you never really address the true issue, which if you got bad ankles, you got bad knees. If you got bad knees, you got bad hips. And if all three of those are bad, you got a bad athlete. Yeah, that's true. Um, one of the things I do when I watch uh, anybody squat or deadlift, if, if I see the knees go in, I actually look at the feet first. And, yes, sir. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with, like you said earlier, three points of contact on the feet. Um, w- would you mind explaining um, what you mean by the three points of contact and how that relates to the squat? Yes, sir. Um, well, a lot of us are taught, you know, with the three points of contact. It's your heel, the ball of your feet, and your toes. Like, you want to maintain contact with the floor throughout the lift. Once you settle and once you get your your uh, your squat with your feet, your, your stance, once you get your stance where you want it, and you're getting ready to squat, you want to, right before you initiate your squat, you want to feel, you want to be able to kind of like, let's say you didn't have any weight on your back, 
I should be able to almost scratch the floor or grab the floor with my toes. I should feel pressure on the balls of my feet, and I should feel pressure on my heels. It's almost as if you're a lifter with an arch. It should feel like you're trying to flatten your foot into the floor. Yeah, for sure. That's what it almost should feel like. Yeah, very cool. But if you're a, but if you're a flat-footed lifter like myself, then it kind of changes for you because now it's heels outside of your foot, toes. Like, because when you're flat-footed, your whole foot is going to be on the floor anyway. Right. But the thing is, with a flat-footed lifter, you don't want to put too much pressure on the balls of your feet because now you have no arch. So your foot is like this on the floor. So if you've got too much pressure on the balls of your feet and your toes, what's going to happen is your heels are going to come off the floor. So you more so, people like myself want to be heels outside of the foot and toes. That kind of helps reinforce that ripping the floor apart yeah. aspect of the squat. Yeah, because the... Um, that's sort of kind of what I mean in a nutshell by three points of contact. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I use the um, the three points of contact analogy myself, and I always say the foot's kind of like a, an inverted hoof, you know, like a C, and the, the C's face each other. So you stay off of the, uh, you kind of stay off of where the arch should be in the foot. Yes, know, sir. And that, that produces that pushing out like you're tearing the floor apart. I think a lot of people have trouble... Um, understanding that outward push on the squat, you know, because it looks like just from watching it, it looks like the force is going down and the lifter is going up, but there's definitely some lateral force involved uh, with the squat. Um, and the best way, and the best way for a struggling lifter, if you don't understand that concept, take the weight off the bar or, or put maybe 135 on the bar and squat really, really slow. If it feels like the weight is pushing you down, then you're probably not ripping the floor apart. Like, if it, if it feels like the weight can just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, then it probably feels that you're probably not ripping the floor apart. So, take a lifter, put lightweight on their back, and make them try to do a tempo static squat. And what you want to do, you want to slightly rotate the pelvis the backwards. And you want them to squat straight down. And as they begin to squat, being that the pelvis is already shifted backwards, it's going to push you in a natural squat position because your body is going to follow your pelvis. You know, so it's going to get you in that perfect squat position. And all you want to do as you go down is with your with your knees just kind of push out just a little bit, engage those quads, because once you tilt the pelvis, the quads are going to engage. Yeah. So you're already in a prime position to tear the floor apart. So all you got to do is make sure your knees track out just a little bit, and as you go down, you're going to eventually hit a point where you're like a loaded rubber band, and you can't go down anymore. And once you reach that loaded spot where, you're, where all the muscles are engaged and loaded, you should be able to feel your body kind of, kind of, you know, like if you pick your foot up, you should like shoot from out under you. That, you know, like you should be totally engaged and primed to just explode out of the hole. Yeah, 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a good drill. Um, I might have to steal that. <laughs> um, I think I stole that from somebody. It was, uh, I forgot which lifter said it, but she was like, she does tempo squats because with tempo squats, you can actually feel everything engaged. And if something is off or missing the squat, you can feel it yeah. without putting big weight on. Because I want to feel it with lightweight on my back, not big weight. So right. I, kinda, I stole it from somebody. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, let's move on to uh, the bench press. Um, so a lot of people, um, when they bench, uh, shoulder issues are a huge, huge, huge thing. Um, especially with the stress on the shoulder, if you're like a really low bar squatter and things that can add up and then you can bench, it'll compound the problem. Um, do you have any thoughts or uh, tips for saving the shoulders in the bench press? Man, the best way I can, the best advice I can give as far as saving the shoulders is the more you can arch and the more you can engage your lats and bench, the better off you're going to be. The flatter you lay on that bench, the less the less of your lats are going to be engaged because if the flatter you lay, the more of your lats you're laying on, which means your lats can't completely engage because you're laying on them. That means you're going to have to use more chest. You're going to have to use more shoulders. You're going to have to use more of your bicep to press that weight off of you. So the more you can, the more arch you can get, the better. Because the more arch, the more lats and triceps you use rather than being flat and using chest and biceps and shoulders. Do you think there's a... Uh a point of arching uh, too much? Do you think that's a thing? It, it, depends. it depends on your body type. It depends on your... Like, I know me, there is a point because, number one, I'm, I'm a super. I got a really thick neck. So, there's only so much arching that I can do. Right. So, it's one of those deals where it's kind of like... It's kind of like if you're a really good boxer. You know, like... You might be 40 and old. You might be a Floyd Mayweather, but at some point in time, you're going to take those hits. Like, you're never going to leave unscathed yeah. like that. You're going to take some hits. So, I think the best thing to do, because even now, I have shoulder problems with the bench. But if you ever see me bench, I bench really, really tight. I'm engaging as much. Of, I'm forcing my body to engage as much lat and tricep as I can, because of course, the wider you get, the more chest and pec you're going to use. I can't do that. Okay. And uh, what so, about... Um, sure. Uh, what about with the, the width of the uh, the grip on the um, bench? And I know, I know that's a little different for you with your size because, um, you know, there's a legal width and everything. But uh, what are your thoughts on really wide grip versus um, not so crazy wide? Um, as far as, as far as, um, wide gripping, I think most guys, um, that use the really, really wide grip, those guys have really, really, you know, they're really strong in the chest and in the shoulders. Whereas guys like me who play football, I got developed, I got coached up really, really early to keep everything tight because I played the line. So everything I did, I was basically shooting my hands really, really tight. Um, 
really doing a lot of stuff in the weight room to develop a strong back, strong triceps. Um, you know, that's kind of where my bench comes from. But um, as far as what I think about wide benching, honestly, it's a competition. And as competitors, if it gives you the competitive edge and you're not breaking the rules, I say do it. Very cool. Just for reference, um, on the bar, how far from legal uh, width are you typically? I'm, I'm normally really, really close to the center nerve. Oh, wow. You're that close? I'm down there, I'm down there close grip bench. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, and uh, so how is your... Um, your bar path then do you press more straight up or does it tend to float back towards over your face a little bit when you bench with more tricep like well when you bench as close as i do it's going to be more straight up and down but the thing is i've been trying to kind of do the hybrid thing and just i've been trying to just you know like the big focus is keeping your wrist above your elbows, keeping your forearms up and down. So, of course, when I come out of the hole, it's going to explode backwards a little bit, but not too much, not not as dramatically as some of the elite benchers in the world. So I kind of have a hybrid bar path. Very cool. Um, and now I've heard, um, and, you know, there's differing opinions, but I've heard that the – the straighter the bar path, the less shoulder injuries and shoulder issues people tend to have, and that the traveling backwards is what causes shoulder issues. Now, I don't, I don't have any evidence in either direction, but that's what um, I know that Louis Simmons says that, and some other, uh, some other uh, prominent people. Um, would you have any thoughts on that? Um, uh, actually, hold on one second. I'm, I'm kind of like you. Um, some stuff, like um, that, that's totally new to me. I've, I've actually never heard that. Um, and the thing is, I've, I've witnessed some of the biggest benchers in the world. Well, well, let's let's regress a little bit. Seeing some of the biggest lifters that are currently doing it, and I don't see them complaining or talking about problems so you know like i I, like i'm like you i have no evidence of that yeah i'm not sure um you know and and there's usually never any examples but that's that's uh i've heard a few a handful of people say that um and uh yeah i just i just don't know where that's where that's coming from um in fact when the bench press first started um, it was the name of the bench press was interchangeable. They would call it the J press as well because, because of that arcing motion back towards the face, it makes the shape of a J. Um, so yeah, I'm not real sure where that comes from. And, and a lot of that may have to do with, uh, bench shirts as well, because, you know, Louie and them, um, they're, they were doing mostly uh, geared lifting or whatever. So that may play more of a role in that. I'm not sure. I would, I would almost, I would almost bet my, I would almost bet my salary on that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, speaking of salary, that brings me to another uh, question. Um, so, 
sponsors. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that, that want sponsorships. Um, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, especially strongmen, they win shows, platinum plus shows or nationals and they go, they go professional and they're looking for sponsors. Do you have any advice, um, in that regard? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think um, you, you do need like a, a resume, basically, when you when you talk to them. It's important to have a a resume of things that you've done and accomplished, or at least what you're trying to do. Um, yes, sir. I think that's pretty important. Um, now you have you have a, at least one big sponsor. That's um, SBD, right? Yes, sir. And um, how how is how is that when you get a sponsor uh, a sponsorship of that caliber? Um, can you tell us just a little bit about that experience and, and kind of how that works and and just kind of the minor details? Well, I've, I've been with SBB since the beginning. Like uh, I've been one of SB. I've been an SBB athlete since uh, since two thousand. 13, okay. that's when I first came aboard, and the thing is, it's really not about, it really wasn't about, how can I say this, um, the best part about being an SBD athlete is, they let me be me, they let me be me, like, um, I'm, 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 I'm really goofy, I'm, 
I'm only serious when I'm on the platform. Um, but even in the beginning, um, when I when I first got with SBD, I had already I had already set an unofficial world record in the squat. I had uh, I had uh, squatted 905 with just the belt on. Like even in the beginning, I had already started building my lifting resume. That way, when it came time to have that conversation with SPD, yeah. I could say, this is what I've done so far. This is what I look to accomplish in the future. And if health permits, I'm just going to keep pushing the envelope year after year to be the best lifter that I can be. And it would be awesome if I could do this while wearing your logo, your product, because I feel like we both can benefit from it. And, you know, like, that's sort of kind of the approach that, you know, you have to have because they want you to be the best. You want to be the best. So we're going to both benefit from this relationship. Yeah. <clears throat> Very cool. <clears throat> um, and uh, how does that work with um, – other uh, sponsorships because uh, you, you have a couple others, right? Yes, sir. And uh, I mean, the big thing is, the big thing is when you when you talk to um, potential sponsors, you just got to be open with it. Like you, you never want somebody you're sponsored with to find out something secondhand or 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 on the back end side. Just just be open, like. I'm sponsored by XYZ, lay all of it out, and, you know, you and the sponsor may be, you and your sponsor may come to the conclusion that, you know what, you got a lot going on, and we were looking for a little bit something, a little bit more exclusive, you know, some sponsors are there right out to you, you know, like, we want you to wear our stuff all the time, you can't wear anything else, and you as the lifter can accept or decline, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's 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 for um for just lack not for um lack of not having a better work. It's just business. You know, you meet, you communicate with them, they communicate with you and y'all meet somewhere in the middle. And if that can't be if that can't be accomplished then, you know, oh well. Right. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, I think <clears throat> that'll be very important for a lot of people um, that are trying to do that. Uh, and, and like you said, the the um, the field's pretty saturated, um, but there's also a lot of new uh, companies coming out too. There's a lot of new equipment companies and supplement companies coming out. So um, there are some opportunities, especially to get involved with some of the smaller companies. But I think these these principles still apply to even to those, you know, it's the same. But that's, that's just like, that's just like myself. Like the very first time I saw a pair of SBD knee sleeves was way, way back in, uh, when Raw Nationals was in Orlando, Florida. And I want to say 2013, I saw, I saw, um, I saw a lifter squatting with a pair of SBD, SBD sleeves. And I remember my brother, me and my brother sitting, you know, like, at the time, nobody knew what SBD was, so I'm like, what are those? Like, and you know, like, you know, like, nobody knew. So, I've, I've, I'm privileged to say, I've grew up with SBD 
throughout the year. So I was I was one of their first. I was among the first sponsored U.S. athletes because you know SBD is a company out of Great Britain, and I've I've grown up with SBD throughout the year. So you know, I think you know our partnership we work well together. Like all lines of communication are open. If they want me to do something, they let me know. If I need something, I let them know. It, it, it's, it's just a beautiful working relationship. And as a young lifter, like maybe that's one of the things you can do, especially like you just alluded to, with so many new companies popping up. Find you a company that you can grow up with. You know, like you guys help each other out throughout the relationship. And when they make it big, you can say, I've been there with them since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And there's a lot of opportunities to, um, to find those companies, uh, with so many fit cons and, and like the Arnold's and the Mr. Olympia's and all these different yes, fit cons. You can go and talk to people in person. Um, and then, um, Instagram, Instagram's actually where I got my, my first sponsorship was on Instagram. I was a company looking to sponsor people and you had to turn in your resume and, and I did and I, I, I got sponsored or whatever. So, um, yes, sir. As, as long as you keep your eyes open, you can find those opportunities. I think yes, sir. A, a little bit of luck helps too. <laughs> For sure. <clears throat> so, uh, we're about out of time, but, uh, tell us a little bit about this, uh, trip to Sweden and, and what, what are you expecting and, and how many people are signed up and, um, just give us a quick rundown of this this competition you got coming up. Um, the goal in Sweden is the same as always. Just uh, get there healthy, um, finish training, get there healthy, and you know, not, not not trying to be boastful or anything, but you know, every time I take the platform, I want to break the internet. You know that that's my goal. Like. <laughs> I train hard, I put in the hours, uh, I, I put my body on the line, and I'm, I'm you know, just like the, the competitive side of me, the, the animalistic side of me, this guy you guys see right before he takes every attempt, I want to break the internet, I want to set the internet on fire, but um, the, 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 the more laid back side of me is excited because... Once again, I'll be competing against Kelly. Uh, Jezza will be back in the mix this year. And, you know, the super heavyweight field, you know, I've got some guys in there that, you know, i got to pay attention to the small details because, you know, normally I can go in, I can be reckless, and, you know, I'll be okay, but I'm going against seasoned veterans that, that know the field, that know how everything works. So, you know, I got to be smart as well as strong. So I'm really, really excited to get to compete against my brothers again. Um, I actually can't wait to get there. You know, the great those guys. You know, aside from being really strong guys, they're, 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 they're good people. And um, I just can't wait to see them. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, and uh, one last thing I wanted to bring up. Um, I, I don't want to make you mad, but I want to know about this belt thief. Tell us about this belt thief. Just to clear the air, my belt was not stolen at the Kim and Ray Invitation. It wasn't stolen at the meet. 
uh, a lot of people think somebody at the meet stole my belt. No, that that wasn't the case. What happened was me and Kim Walford had just finished training, and um, me, Kim, me and Kim rode together, and you know some other people from the gym met at a, a nice little seafood place down the street. So you know we're in a very nice part of Oakland. So you know me being you know, from the country, I'm, I'm from, I'm in, I'm in rural Mississippi right now, so, you know, like, stuff like that don't happen around here, yeah. so I didn't think about leaving my bag on the back seat, so we go in, we eat, we've been in the restaurant down there two hours laughing, having a good time, come back to the car, the windows are busted out, um, my training bag, with my gym bag, with my belt, my shoes, my everything, my, my funky training knee sleeves, like all of it is gone. And you know, like I'm heartbroken because you know, like if anybody knows anything about lifting belts, it takes time to break one of them things in. Oh yeah. And you know, I've squatted a thousand pounds fifty one times in that belt. That belt actually meant something to me. And you know, for somebody to steal it, it's a five X belt with Expo marker on the inside. So number one, there's not a 400 pound thief running around Oakland that's going to wear a 5x belt. So nine times out of ten, they open the bag, they probably threw my stinky knee sleeves away, they threw my squat shoes away, they threw my wrist wraps away, and what do you think they did with my belt? They probably threw my belt away. So you know what I'm saying? Like it's just. You know, it's, you know, it's, you know, like, you, you, you stole something special from me, and like I said, they probably just threw it away. Yeah, man, that's, yeah, I, I didn't know the whole story I saw on uh, your Instagram. I also thought it was stolen um, from the event. I didn't know all the details there. Um, that, that's crazy, though, that just broke into the car and took your belt. Um. Well, hopefully karma catches up with them. <laughs> and uh, I see you got a, a new belt. You put your marks on it already, right? Yes, sir. Very cool. Uh, many, many more thousand-pound like squats. Earlier, you know, um, the moment I posted that story, uh, SBD reached out to me. Man, sorry, man, that sucks. We're going to get you a new belt in the mail ASAP. And I got the new belt, and I've actually already started the breaking in and you know, the breaking in process. So, you know, hopefully by Sweden, it'll be a little bit more comfortable. But right now, it's a brand new belt, and it's still really, really stiff. Yeah. You just wearing it around? Just put it on and go to the grocery store and break it in? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're about out of time. I want to thank you uh, very much for taking the time out of your day and joining us here. Uh, it's, it's been very informative, very cool. Um, I'd like to get you back on at some point in the future and uh, talk about yes, Sweden and, and some other things and maybe get you out here to West Virginia to do some log press with us. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Uh, well, I want to thank you again. Uh, this has been John the Viking Mauser with Big Ray Williams. Get strong or die.